Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. Today, I have with me Brett Manwarning. Brett is a managing director at K2 Intelligence Fins, Financial Crimes and Risk Compliance Practice. Brett, first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Nice to meet you, Tom. Glad to be here. Brett, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your professional background and your current role at K2 Intelligence Fin. Sure, sure. Like you said, I'm managing director at K2 Intelligence Fin. Been here about eight years in a consulting role. Prior to that, really great for my career is in-house at JPMorgan Chase for six years. And I started out at KPMG in a similar role that, that I am in now. What I do at K2, I guess is pertinent um, for this conversation. We help banks in a reactive or proactive fashion to adhere to the anti-money laundering and compliance regulations that are out there. So that's pretty much it. You know, deal with casinos, deal with retail banks, commercial banks, on the whole gamut from non-financial banking institutions to typical institutions. Right. I come from a anti-bribery, anti-corruption background rather than more of a financial crimes like right. yourself. And when I look at financial institutions, when I look at people like yourselves, I see a robustness around know your customer, third parties in a way that I don't often see in ABC compliance. Yet some people seem to think that innovation has really been an issue for financial services. So I was wondering kind of where you shake out on that issue. And do you see financial institutions strong in some areas that perhaps room for improvement in some areas or is something different? Yeah, well, I think that question can be applied to all facets of life, right? Innovation is aligned with change and people by nature are resistant to change and banks are no different. What banks don't do is they don't recognize what they have. And if they recognize what they have and the, they can control what they control, innovation is then easy and kind of happens organically. One of the ways to do that is simply knowing your data, understanding your data. And that data is aligned with customers. It's aligned with transactions. And if you truly understand it and can document it, you have more potential for all the buzzwords out there as it relates to innovation. Behavior analytics, AI, those words are truly aligned with fear. That's where the resistance comes in, I think. It's interesting you phrased it in that way because in June of this year, the Department of Justice updated their evaluation of corporate compliance programs, and they really directed chief compliance officers to have access to the data lakes across an organization. Mm -hmm. If they are siloed, the DOJ wanted to know what uh, the company had done to give access to that data. So I was really interested that for you to identify the data is there. You may not have access to it. You may not know how to use it, but the data is there. Is that one of the roles that you bring as an expert advisor is to help a bank, to help a financial institution, to help a compliance professional not only understand what data is available, but how to use that data? Yeah, absolutely. I look back at my different experiences and a lot of times the data is just not leveraged or it's not housed in one compartment the technical terms of a repository. And that's the first step. So it's, it's really an organizational process. 
what we do is we can help institutions, and we do this a lot during implementations, transaction monitoring implementations of new systems, is we organize their data into a repository so that any system, whether it's a TM system or in some instances, a marketing initiative or a system can bump up against this data. If it's housed in one spot, more easily and readily attainable and then can be used and leveraged going forward. It's an organizational exercise, to put it simply. The last time I opened a new business checking account was about six or seven years ago, and I bank at Chase. Mm-hmm. And I went down, I had an officer I'd worked with uh, over the past few years and had all my corporate documents with me. And I sat down with her and explained to her what I wanted to do with this new corporation. And she and I had about a 30-minute conversation. And at the end of that conversation, I realized this was the most brilliant due diligence interview I had ever seen. In a completely unconfrontational, non-evasive way, she asked me how I was going to do business, who I was going to do business with, would there be any foreign business partners, what did I want to do domestically. Really, at the end, I was just stunned that she had asked every question that needed to be asked. And I told her this was absolutely brilliant. And I asked her, were you trained to do this? And she said, well, we had some training, but I find that if I just sit down and have a conversation with a client, that I can get all the information that I need to fill out and give that to compliance. Is that the result of a training? Is that the result of a, I don't want to say an attitude, but a culture within a bank to have that kind of relationship? Where do you see a bank that would really do that in a way that I found was incredibly pleasant? Yeah, I mean, it is unbelievable. As you recount that story, I look back at my career and first to answer your question, it starts with the culture, you know, top down. If you're all in, if you've got top-down buy-in to the reg and the spirit of the reg, that will trickle down to people that actually have to do the job. What you touched on, though, is tact. Some people have more than others. I'd like to, to meet that person to, to apply some of that to other individuals I deal with because you get a lot of resistance in different lines of business because people do not want to step on people's or other areas cultures, for example. I deal with banks that deal with the Japanese. There's huge privacy rules and they don't want to step on those. But if you have a a conversation where you can delve out that information, um, you can check all the boxes on that KYC form very easily. I wish I could say that is trained. It probably should be, but that professional just had a tremendous amount of tact that we can all learn from probably. And actually, when I walked away from that experience, I felt like she actually cared about my new little business. That's how powerful it was. Yeah, you know, maybe she did. And you can't teach that either. But no, she's definitely a value add for that company. It's a good plug for Chase. (laughs) Let me turn the focus just a little bit. I assume you have a wide variety of clients in terms of size of financial institutions. But I wanted to ask, when it comes to innovation, do you see smaller or perhaps mid-sized companies more poised to engage in innovation. And I would contrast that perhaps in the ABC world, where it's actually the other way, where we tend to see the bigger companies with innovation. But what's been your experience? They are more poised. It's, it's an interesting angle because I think it's, it's double-edged a little bit. They are more poised, but they don't realize they are. And I say that because at smaller institutions, when they do realize there is a need to be more innovative, they're innovating off of existing band-aids. And these band-aids were meant to be temporary that 
became permanent, whether it's TM monitoring for a specific facet of their, their group or a KYC process that was only supposed to be in-house for about three weeks, but they got comfortable with it. The reason that they're more you know, set up to be innovative is because they have less to control. They have less customers probably, less transactions, and more importantly, less data sources. When you have less data sources, you're vaulted to really start rather quickly on the innovation process. And there's a few housekeeping things that they can do to set themselves up for the next steps. But less data equals more opportunity for quicker innovation. Let me pick up on your last point when you said, I believe you said, there's some housekeeping things they Mm -hmm. can do. So maybe we could use that to go into not only what are those housekeeping things, but what would your advice be for an entity which is looking to innovate, but must also be compliant with a wide variety of financial institution regulations? Okay. The three or four things that I'm thinking of is, number one, like I said, knowing your data, creating a checkpoint or a daily reporting of the data as it relates to the transactions that you're looking with or that impact your customer base, and then identifying those transactions that per regulation or regulatory needs have to be monitored. So that's a very easy checkpoint you can do. And typically it's called a data lineage exercise. And if they do that daily, they know what's coming in from the golden source, as we call it, from a holistic transaction view. They know what has to be monitored. And if there's a deviation, they're already doing robust advanced reporting. And they don't even realize it. And this is something very simply that could be automated and you can grow upon. Once you do that process, something that's very uh, close to me is reporting. They set up basic reporting, monitoring what they're getting, what's being monitored in their transaction system, and then the outcomes. This reporting creates great discussion. And that great discussion creates great decision points. And those decision points, if they're documented correctly, are the basis for your yearly reviews with regulators. That, hey, how did you come? If a regulator poses the question to you, why did you make this decision? Go back to your meeting minutes. You go back to the reporting that aligns with those meeting minutes. And you're, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're making your business more effective. You're meeting regulatory needs. And you're making effective decisions on concrete data points. So it's actually those two steps, which are very easily attainable for banks, they can start doing today. They just need the resources and the professionals to do that and to show them how to do it. That's something that we can help with, obviously. And it's easier than you think. In the ABC compliance world, or I should say more commercial corporations as opposed to financial institutions, a new product, a new service, a new geographic region opening would present a new risk. In the financial services industry, does that same concept translate to a new product offering? And if so, should compliance be involved early on to help from the compliance perspective of at least the risk perspective of potential new product offering? It's a great question. To me, it boils down to the holistic viewpoint of your compliance program. The compliance officer has to ensure that there's stakeholders at every line of business. And the the word we use a lot on the project I'm working on, and I use it with my children, is downstream impact. Every decision has a downstream impact. 
the decision you make is going to impact somebody else. <laughs> you know, it's funny, as I say that, it's very pertinent to the environment we're in now with COVID. But line of businesses are very sensitive to this as well, because if they make a decision to open up a new product, which could be very lucrative, they're thinking initially, yes, I'm going to make more money. We're going to make more money. The compliance person is thinking, yeah, that's going to impact us because we have a new data source. We have a new work stream. How can we position ourselves to effectively monitor that transaction? So an easy way to do it is to ensure that within each line of business, especially when these initiatives are discussed, there's a compliance stakeholder aligned with each line of business. At a bigger institution, there's several. At a smaller institution that may only have retail and small business banking, it's two. That will eventually lead to a good review at the end of the year from your regulator because everything's ticked and tied. And you thought downstream, you thought with regards to the downstream impact of this new uh, product. Once again, I'm more familiar with uh, more of the commercial corporate world. And the regulators there tend to be the Department of Justice and Securities and Exchange Commission. But they have made clear, really starting in April, right up through the recording of this podcast, that enforcement will continue. Companies and other institutions need to maintain robust compliance. And indeed, as your risks have changed during COVID-19, you need to assess those risks to those are you hearing those same things from the regulatory bodies in the world that uh, you focus on? Yeah, I am. I am. And number one, I'm hearing that because it's a change in climate, change of transactions, more eccentric, if you will, less FaceTime. But a way that the, the banks can really position themselves in a good way to get ahead of this is by making sure their reporting is reflective of these changes. End of the day, they're going to see deviations in their transactions. And again, this is a callback to an earlier comment I made. Those deviations in that good reporting will create the good discussion and good decision points. And those decision points are designed to capture that risk. But it's a new world, for better or worse, but we're in it right now, right? For the past 10 years, probably every talk I've ever given, I've said the three most important things in any compliance program are the following. Document, document, document. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do, document it. And you really laid out for me, not only the regulatory case for documentation, which is if it's not documented in the regulator's eyes, it never happened. But you laid out the business case of why documentation can be such a powerful business tool and a part of your overall business plan going forward. You said it. Documentation is the key because end of the day, you need a justification for everything you do um, within the bank. If the documentation is light, kind of opens up the door of subjectivity, which is very hard to support with a regulator. Sometimes there's a combination of a math-based statistical analysis where you kind of bring a subjective nature into it, but the numbers are the drivers and they're the key for the discussion. And good reporting is good documentation. So I'm, I'm definitely aligned with that. That's something we try to do. Brett, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any information on the financial crimes, risk, and compliance practice of K2 Intelligence Fin. Where can they go? We're active on Twitter, LinkedIn, as well as our website, which is k2intelligence.com. I'm on LinkedIn as well, so you can search me. Thank you for saying Twitter, because I find that it's to this day to be one of the most powerful tools, not simply to kind of keep up with news, but also for 
research and other information out there. And you're one of the very few people who mentioned it. So kudos in my mind. No problem. Appreciate that. Brett, as we move forward, really over the next 12 to 18 months, I might ask if I could perhaps have you back and you could talk to us a little bit about where we might be somewhere down the road with all of this. Absolutely. It was a, it was a pleasure to meet you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.